We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender at Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Monday, it's Monday, May 9th, and it's warming up here. It's it's warming up. It, it, it's uh, it may actually reach 80 degrees here in uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, finally, after you know the, the weather goes up and down here all the time, it looks like it's nice and consistent. We're not gonna have a 40 degree day out of nowhere, but it's nice. It's Monday, and you know what we do on Mondays. We talk to James McCool. It's Mondays with McCool, the co-author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. All the people in the YouTube chat I see, give those thumbs ups. You know, it helps us out in the morning, wakes us up. I got I got some Red Bull. That wakes us up also. Real-life pitcher Doug Montgomery, Suki Singh, Eric Runick, Kickstart, Zach Hobbs, Grant Brown. Uh, Nate Branshaw, who asks, uh, to, to start the day, what language do you build your models in? Yeah, I build mine on. in English, personally. We'll, we'll hold off on that. You're drinking not only a Red Bull, but like the full sugar Red Bull at what time? Is it 10 a.m. for you? No, it's 11. It's 11. It's Eastern. Oh, you're Eastern. Okay. Right. Uh, you're right. Central. Well, I know it's, it's closed. We're right on the, the we're, right we on are the right. I mean, I can throw a rock at your house. Somehow we're not in the same time zone. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. They're drinking Red Bull. Why? What's, what's, what's wrong? Why? I, I, I got to do another show after this. I got to do theory of DFS podcast with Neil after this. You're insane. I'm, I am drinking, uh, I'm drinking tea because I'm a, I'm a cultured, cultured. Yeah, but it doesn't tea. Have, it doesn't tea have a ton of caffeine and whatever else, anyway. Uh, no, so green tea has about 45 milligrams caffeine, and uh, your Red Bull has, is that a 12 ounce or an 8 ounce? A 12 ounce. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're you're at, like, what, 110 milligrams caffeine or something. It doesn't matter. Like, I have coffee in the morning, and that's, like, 100. Well, I, I don't I don't drink coffee anymore. Well, there you go. All right. I don't, I don't have that much caffeine anymore. Did, I, 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 I get Red Bull every once in a while for the days where this show is at 11 o'clock, and I don't mm-hmm. wake up until 1020. Yeah. And then right. you have, and, have you have to inject sugar and guarana and and energy in your bones. I get it. Right, I used right. To, I used or, to or I'm going to fall asleep. Right, exactly. Total energy. Like, I do it. I do it for those. I don't typically. I don't drink it any other like Saturday mornings if I'm, I'm waking up early for soccer. Right. It's like oh, yeah. right. It's like I need I need something. But for the most I'm not like drinking it all the time. And if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have Red Bull, I'm gonna have the full. I'm gonna the full thing. Give me the. Give me the, the, it's like, it's like going to the, to the, 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 I go to Kroger, you go to the CVS or something. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like what, why aren't you getting the extra strength pain reliever? I mean, it's all over the counter anyway. Nothing is going to be like, nothing is going to be crack or anything. No. 
I get like, it. why wouldn't you go like, well, okay, you want this that do you, you have a cold, you want the normal cough syrup, a cold medicine, or you want the extra maximum strength, right? Yeah, and it's like an extra 50 milligrams. Well, just get the, it's good. Get, just whatever, just kill whatever that needs to get killed. If I need to wake up, why not? When, it's not like the sugar-free one is any less healthier, right? I, I, I understand. No, I get it. Okay. Um, I get it. So I, uh, I, so what write, language do you build your model in? Mine, mine is in English. I don't know where yours, I yours is in English. Uh, I kind of, I have a couple different ways that I build through things. So my, my, uh, range of outcomes models are actually built in BBA, which is, I don't recommend that doing, I don't recommend to anybody doing it that way. I really should translate them into Python, um, just because, uh, VBA. So I started my, my little coding adventure in, in VBA and in Excel because I had projects I was working on when I was VBA doing, is what? VBA is a virtual basic hmm. application, I think. Right. Um, but it is visual, visual basic. Visual basic, yeah. It's right. it exists in um in I never Excel. I never heard of anyone doing VB. I mean yeah, VB I, is something that like I dabbled in like 20 years ago mm -hmm. yeah it's super outdated uh but like so the reason why i do those models in vba is specifically because when i started my coding stuff um i had a project that i needed to do i was writing grants for the for the government at the time i was doing promote writing and i had a project for a client where they wanted to build an algorithm that would match companies together so they could go work on stuff go after stuff together and so I built this matching algorithm in Excel and I didn't, I didn't know coding back then. I didn't know what the best way to do it was. So I was like, how can I do this in Excel? And I went to Google and then there was VBA. So VBA exists in Excel on the back end. Um, you can write your macros into it and it, it's, it's handy, but it's not as handy as something like Python or R. Um, but yeah, so I, I basically just, I took the, the range of outcome stuff and I built that up in VBA. I need to translate it to Python. I just don't have the time. Uh, I do have my baseball simulator exists in Python. That's what I wrote that in. That's the most complicated formulas that I have and the most complicated algorithms. Um, and then I do have some, some coding that I do in R as well with uh, permutations and combos and stuff like that for League of Legends and Counter-Strike. So I kind of have, I, I go back and forth between those three. Most of my coding is in Python these days. I do some stuff for clients in VBA. If I want to, if I need to write macros for Excel or something like that, but most of it is in Python. Okay. Well, pe people in the chat want to know, we got, we got, uh, we got smart people in the chat. we got yeah. programmers and everything. I like answering those questions. Right. Those, those are the good ones. And then, uh, then uh, over the weekend, since I'm here in Louisville, uh, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't bet on the longest shot in the field to win the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> No, uh, my mom loves the Kentucky Derby. We, I grew up and she loves horses. We, uh, we actually uh, volunteered at the horse rescue for a while. I did have a horse for a little while. Um, my mom had a horse. His name was Concord. He had no butt, but he was uh, a massive horse. He was like 22 hands high or something like that. Just gigantic horse. Um, so my mom loves Kentucky Derby, but I have never gotten into it. I, I don't, I, I cannot get excited about it. I have tried uh, the only thing that I have ever watched that has been exciting to me has been Secretariat just absolutely wrecking the field uh, over and over and over again. So that, that's as far as I get into horse racing. I did not place any bets. I didn't do any models. I didn't do anything like that. Uh, it's just not for me. Right. When I, when I was younger, like uh, uh, when I was uh, past, past 21, uh, typically like me and my friends on New Year's Day would go to, to Aqueduct. Okay. Right. Every mm -hmm. once in a while, like, like it's one of those things. Oh yeah. Let the, we have not, nothing to do. It's uh, you know, on a Thursday and it's like, okay, 11 o'clock in the morning, go to Belmont or whatever. And like New York in long Island. And so I'll get the daily racing form and you, you make $5 bets. You make, make a $10 straight wagers and $2 trifectas and just hang out or whatever like that. But, uh, but I've, I've also noticed that the, the, sports books wise like they're introducing i know we talked a lot about sports betting last week right mm -hmm. uh a lot of thick uh, most people that bet on sports don't understand that horse racing is betting is power mutual and it's mm -hmm. not fixed odds mm -hmm. yet some sports books were offering fixed odds wagering 
And I can tell you by default, if if you had to choose between power mutual horse racing, the horse horse betting, and fixed odds sports betting, do power mutual every single time. Because the fixed odds are going to have a higher hold because the odds are going to move. Mm-hmm. Like in real, like power mutual. Uh, James, do you understand power mutual? The difference between power mutual betting and like power mutual betting is like what we're doing in DFS, mm-hmm. kind of right. Uh, the odds don't change or anything, but essentially we're we're all playing against each other, and the house is taking their fifteen percent rate, their whatever whatever the commission on the contest is. So like they don't care who wins. They don't have to balance action. They don't have to do anything. Power mutual betting is the same way. So if you go, obviously now with like inter, intra, interstate betting and online stuff like on Twin Spires or whatever, uh, it's a little bit different. But typically, like if you think about in an old school scenario, you go to the track, there's 5,000 people at the track. And the morning line odds are, are set by the, the handicapper, by the track handicapper. And what all, all they're trying to do is trying to predict what the, what the closing line is going to be, right? How they, they think the public is going to bet. Because the, the track is just going to take a 15-something 15, 15 per, uh, percent handle out, out of the handle anyway. So they don't care. But they, morning line odds are typically set. You know, this horse is three to two. This is five to one. This is eight to one. And then, then the day's bets for all the races on all the, all the, all the horses, all the everything. And then as people bet the, they put their money into the pool and based on how much money is on certain wagers in the pool, the odds will change. You don't get, you know, like if you bet currently the, the number, number eight horse is 10 to one. And you bet $10 on it, on it to win, right? At 10 to one, it's not locked at 10 to one. You can't, it's not, you're not going to get paid a hundred bucks. That horse may go down to a seven. By the time the, you know, the bell goes off, it's he's seven to one. So you're going to get paid based on seven to one because too many other people were betting on that same horse. So the odds started coming down. And because it's paramutual, like the track's just going to take the appropriate money out commission wise and then pay the rest. So they have to reserve all the pool. There's a win pool, a place pool, a show pool, an exacto and a, and a exotics pool with the exactas and the trifectas, the superfectas. They take out money for the pick six for picking the, you know, the, the top, the winning horse of the, you know, third through ninth race or whatever they do for the pick six. Uh, and then they basically, all the, all the track does is just pay out that they're responsible for like the peer to, it's almost like peer to peer betting mm-hmm. in a way uh, with fixed odds wagering, basically the sports book is doing that, but for their own risk management, right? The sports book could choose to hold whatever they want. There's no, there's no regulation on that. They could choose to move them, move the line. Don't move the line based on action. I mean, we, most people don't understand that in, in, in reality, sports books don't, try to the, the old adage of take 50% of both sides and get the money and get the vig in the middle. They don't, they, they never accomplished that. So based on their own analytics and profiling, they don't mind even having a small position on one side, one side of a bet. If they believe that too many dumb people are betting on the other side. So for fixed odds wagering, because the, those odds will actually move the most, when you bet on, on a fixed odds, let's say, on the Kentucky Derby yesterday, you bet that morning of on a horse, like most likely by the time the, the, the race starts, the line at Churchill Downs, or I'm, I'm using, you know, the, the global, you know, paramutual betting uh, line is going to be, is going to be better for you. Mm-hmm. Like, at close because the sports books because of that movement are going to take a bigger hold. So a lot of times fixed odds horse betting has 20 to 25% holds. Well, paramutual, the most hold is going to be what 15, 16%, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So like most likely like fixed odds horse racing, horse betting is almost rarely ever going to be in your favor unless you're obviously that probably very skilled in predicting what like the closing line is going to be and go, I could, 
the same thing that we talked about last week of like, if you're good at arbitraging uh, what, what the public is going to do in the paramutual betting pool, but a lot of times the sports books are moving that number also anyway. So just, I just wanted to throw out there since, uh, you know, the, the biggest horse race of the year happened on Saturday and a bunch of people that played DFS or bet on sports. Like, oh, okay. I'm watching the Kentucky Derby. I'll bet on something type of thing. Uh, they may be used to fixed odds. Like it's like, Oh, why can't I bet on this at that time? But paramutual betting, because it's a lower hold is almost always going to be your by default. If you don't know what you're doing, it's better off betting through a sports book that is part of the paramutual pool of some paramutual pool rather than, than paying, you know, five, paying five to one fixed odds for a horse that, that goes off at six to one, mm-hmm. like, right? Paying eight to one on a horse that goes off at 10 to one, right? Or paying three to two on a horse that goes off at five to two or two to one. Like you're, mo- you're most likely just, they, because of that movement, the sports book is purposely going to make these bigger, these bets bigger holes. And especially on like the, on the exactas and the trifectas, like those holds could be 40, 45%. And like for you to pay 40, 45% hold on a bet, like there's, I don't, there's, you can't be profitable. I mean, like I, I when they're holding 40% of the money, uh, you can't, you can't beat them. You can, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, that that's like betting six to eight leg parlays now. Like you just, you, you're not going to win in the long run. Uh, so, yeah. So just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the horse race or anything yeah what did, and, what did you do over the weekend uh well it was mother's day over the weekend um i called my I, mom i still I, I called my you don't have to scold me or anything i i won't scold you i would never scold you jordan um no but i mean before we like move on to that i, I just uh just a very like very simple way to think about it in terms of dfs terms we always talk about the rake and we always talk about how good you have to be in order to beat the rake in dfs if you are uh playing cash games and you need to beat a nine to eleven percent rake or whatever it is right you need to have uh that accounted for in your win rate so if you are a 50 percent player you're likely going to be losing 10 percent over the long term because you're going to be paying the rake uh if you're a 63 percent winner then you're going to be winning three percent over the long term or whatever it is because you're beating the rake and you're beating your opponents in a way that is making it so you're profitable but in in this case the difference between paramutual at 16% hold and fixed odds 25% hold means that you need to be 9% better overall at betting this in order to even come out even in, in beating the hold over, over what you're dealing with at the books. So just wanted to like bring that forward to, to some DFS concepts we've talked about. Um, but what I did over the weekend, uh, well, I played a lot of uh, baseball DFS, been having a lot of fun with that. I introduced a cool new metric into my models, so that's been running pretty well. What's the metric? Um, Can't just say uh, that and say, like, I'm not going to tell you. Well, I, I'm still backtesting through it. And well, what's like, the metric? What, what are you measuring? What is it? Uh, it? It aims to reduce, it actually aims to leverage luck a little bit more than what I was doing before. So, like, I already account for luck pretty heavily with my expected home run stuff. Um, but that is well, like, that's, that's fine. It works really well, but I've, I've been running into some problems with the baseball model and it goes back to last year where, um, because I run on shorter samples, sometimes the luck is not accounted for enough in like each at bat. So not just, oh, so like, when you say, hold on, so when you say luck, talking are, about, we're, so we're talking like, about like, are, are we just talking about stuff like, uh, like uh, long flyouts, like it's a barrel and it would have, you know, like we, we see like there, there's a, there's a Twitter account that like tells you it's yeah. like, well, this would have been a home run in 27 out of 30 ballparks, but it was, it was a double here. It was an out here. Yeah. Like, like those, are, we're talking about the, that specifically, or are there other like luck terms as far as uh like BABIP? Yeah. That's, right? that's like that type, like, oh, this, like this was a sharp line drive and it would have been a hit 81% of the time. Yeah. But it got, it actually just went to the, the third baseman this time, like those types of things. Yeah. So when I talk about luck in baseball, I'm specifically talking about uh, Babbitt left on base rate and home run rate. Right. So those are the three things that we know uh, for the most part are, go- are going to regress towards league averages towards the end of the year. There's going to be some guys that are outliers, right? There's going to be some guys that have um, 
And Kyle Hendricks specifically is one guy whose BABIP has always been a bit higher than his average just because of okay. reasons, right? But for the most part, like outside of those outliers, you're going to have guys like most guys are going to regress to league average in BABIP, home run rate, and left on base rate. We know that left on base rate is somewhere around 70, 75%. We know that home run rate uh, varies kind of home run per fly ball varies somewhere between like 12 and 14% most years. We know that BABIP usually uh, normalizes to somewhere around like 250 to 260, depending on handedness. Um, Right-handedness is a little bit higher, left-handedness is a little bit lower. So um, I already- So you're measuring, so, so, so from what, what you're measuring luck on the, for pitchers, not for batters. pitchers specifically. I, okay, I, so I, so I, I was thinking in terms of luck from the hitter perspective of they're getting unlucky, you know, with home runs or anything, but you're talking right. about more of the luck aspect on the pitchers getting unlucky or lucky. Yeah. So right? like if, 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 if they're, they're running, you know, if they're, they're pitching well and they have like a, a, a 381 BABIP against yeah. and, uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a home run fly ball rate of four or something like, like obviously that's not going to continue because that person, they wouldn't even be in the, they, they couldn't possibly be in the majors if that was, a, I mean, they'd be done. I mean, they, right. they wouldn't even make it to the majors. With that but in a short sample in a three four game sample size that may be that yeah. may be what actually happened yeah so uh my models originate entirely on the pitcher like for me in, in my belief of what baseball is everything starts with the pitcher so the pitcher controls a, a lot more than what the hitters do and then the hitters are basically just trying to beat the pitcher um it goes back to anytime you have a competitive environment offense will always 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 beat defense eventually Right. Like if you give offense enough time, it will wear through the defense eventually in any competitive environment. Um, and the way that I look at that is pitchers are the offense, hitters are the defense, which is kind of like people think that's backwards, but the pitchers are the ones that are initiating. Right. So there's an action from the pitcher and there's there's a reaction from the batter. So it's up to the batters to, to then deal with what the pitcher is doing. The pitcher always has the first. Move. So. Um, my models always originate with the pitcher. So most of the stats that I'm building in, obviously I have hitter stats and I have like the expected stats and stuff like that. I use expected batting average and expected slug for um, the baseline stats. And then I use my expected home run rates as well uh, for hitters. But for pitchers specifically, what uh, I'm trying to do with this new stat, and it's been working really, really well, I'm already uh, leveraging the the luck that we have for home run rates. So my expected home run rates are going to give pitchers a more realistic idea of what their home runs given up per inning should be. And now what I've moved into is also trying to uh, take advantage of BABIP and left on base rate uh, and, and normalizing those rates against league averages based on what the pitcher should be, should have been doing. So their baseline makes a lot more sense because like you'll have situations where a pitcher is, and this is research that I'm sure that a lot of people have done, right? You look at a pitcher's average against their BABIP and you're like, oh, they're getting lucky. They're not getting lucky. So say that a pitcher has an average allowed of like 125, right? He's just crushing it. You know, he's, he's terrific. But his BABIP is like 0.087 or something like that. I mean, like nobody's getting on base when they're making contact. He has like a 5K per nine or something like a 9% strikeout rate. Guys are hitting him. He's got a 0.087 BABIP and he's got a 125 average. It's like, okay, so what happens when that BABIP normalizes against the league averages? So I am normalizing and regressing the BABIP numbers and left on base rate uh, against league averages for the splits because I have like all this data from the pitchers for the entire league. So I can normalize those kinds of things against what we should expect to happen so I can get a better idea of what the pitchers should do in the future and give them a better baseline to put against the hitters. So that's what I introduced um, Thursday, I think. And I've been building that up through the season. Um, and it's been really, really good. I've been really happy with it. Obviously, you know, it's been three days, but <laughs> that's, that's why I said, like, I, I'm still like testing through it and making sure that everything is running properly. But um, but the numbers from last year made a lot of sense when I back tested against last year. So I'm, I'm happy with those results so far. Uh, are you, are you putting into your model, the, the, the claim, are you weighing for national television games having uh, not dead balls in them? Oh. Did, did you, did you see that quote? Yeah, man. No, like pitchers are saying that the balls are different inning to inning too. And, and like, like, 
I, I, do, do you think, do you think, I, personally, this is my opinion, is that the balls are not intentionally different, right? They believe, you know, they're playing with the same balls. I think a lot of, a lot of this is confirmation bias. Like a lot, like even the major league baseball players, pitchers and hitters alike are seeing that like the balls aren't flying as far as they should be. Mm-hmm. And the, the balls may not be moving on pitches the way that they should be ever so slightly. And there's so many variables in a, in a baseball game that uh, like the pitchers are like, like uh, it's, it's just, it's, they're trying to, it's confirmation. Uh, the, their curveball didn't move as much. So it has to be the ball. It's not them. Mm. That's the problem. And the same thing with the hitters of like, like, well, in national TV games, when I play, it, I hit the ball. It seemed like the same way I did before. This one went over the fence, and the other one got out. It was at the warning track. It just, like, measure wise, I, I don't see how how. I mean, yeah, I'm not a baseball player, so maybe 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 someone could chime in if they they've played. But I mean, I've I've umpired baseball. I've held baseballs before. I've been given baseballs to give to pitchers officially in games. Uh, I mean, obviously in the majors, they have a different procedure, but I mean, like, like I take them out of the, like as an umpire for, for, for tournament games, at least now I'm not talking about leisurely literally games that, you know, that whatever, but for tournament games, the, the, the teams have to supply balls in their boxes in the wrap. Right. So it's like, there's no way of like, well, these balls are different than like, no, they're, they're, they're all the same official major league baseballs. I mean, like it is what it is. So so there's a couple things. Do you, do you believe in any of the? Do you believe in and you have to you have to think from the from the from the from the stats from the way that the ball is reacting that that the balls are different than last year. Yeah, the balls are different. So uh, I I would agree that like there there's I I think that uh, there is some form of confirmation bias and some kind of excuse of hitters and pitchers being able to say oh this happened because I'm using a different ball right? Like the, the balls are different. The inconsistencies are true. I, I think that there is a confirmation bias there of blaming the balls when maybe it wasn't the baseball that was the problem in that instance, but there is certainly an issue with the balls overall, because we know that the drag coefficient is higher this year. We've seen that based on data from past years. We see that home run fly ball rates and home run per bell rates are significantly lower than they have been in years past. We have the data to show that uh, in specific instances, there is a different drag coefficient on the ball in different games. Now, the question is, because I I don't think that there's any question, there are multiple different balls being used. Um, And that's been like confirmed by different players, been confirmed by different pitchers, been like confirmed by data. Like there are multiple balls at play here. I think- As far as confirmation, I mean, from, from our perspective, we're seeing that differently where where one like you you take a look at the launch angle and the exit velocity and mm-hmm. all the, all the all the factors of how what what the trajectory of balls should be and sometimes you like like it's it's been there have been some balls that based on their launch angle and their their trajectory and everything like last year would have been a home run nearly 100% of yeah. the like would have been a home run like 99.2% of the time. And then we've seen home runs that go out of the, go out of the ballpark at, you know, on the short, you know, porches of some of these stadiums. Oh dude, Anthony Rizzo had a three home run game, not a single one barreled. Right. Yeah. But that, I mean, but, but with, with the, the angle and everything of like last year, that ball would have been like not him specifically, but I, I saw one, I saw one the other day where, it went out 347 feet and it's like, and, and, and someone commented like last year, this would have been an out 92% of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, so how is it that we get some games where the ball seems to die everywhere. And then in other games, we get some balls that like, there's, there's no way that really should have been a home run yet. It ended up being one. And then sometimes you get that in the same game. So here there's two different theories, right? One theory is that the MLB is using the bouncy balls in the games that are going to be nationally televised, right? Like that's what we talked about before, where they're like, oh, we're going to use the bouncy balls because this game is going to be popular. People are going to be watching it. We want it to be exciting. 
Um, that's one theory. And that oh, yeah, people more, watch the other games. I mean, come on. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> people watch the other games. So it, it would be kind of silly to say that. I don't, I don't think that that's right. And actually the main reason why I don't think that's right is because I think that the league is too inept to be able to pull something like that off. <laughs> I don't think that they are smart enough to be able to pull something like that off. Right. What I think is happening. The other theory is that in, in an official statement, the MLB said that they were not going to be producing any more baseballs, right, after, after the 2020 season. So that was when we saw the difference in the balls, right? So if so they, who's making the balls? So, it, well, it's still rolling. Right. And, so, I mean, what? Uh, so they said they, they weren't going to make the balls anymore, but they were never making the balls. Yeah. They, well, they, they said that they, yeah, they said they were not going to have any more, any different balls manufactured but they never excluded the fact that maybe they're still using all of the balls that have been manufactured over the last three years, which means that my theory is that they just have all the balls together and they don't know that there's a difference or well, like they don't care that there's a difference and that some games are going to have a disproportionate amount of red marbles and some games are going to have a disproportionate amount of blue marbles, but all of the marbles are just in the same bag and it's just... So, they, so, so we, you're po- what you're positing is that that over the past three years, Rawlings have have made balls for each of those years, mm-hmm. and since they're not making any new balls, instead of just like, oh, we're just going to use the balls from last year that we have left, they're just like whatever balls from 2019, 20, 2018, 2019, and twenty twenty, like so, whoever put it in the storage unit or something like that didn't label anything and just put them all in together even though each year had a slightly different make of the ball or something and now they're just pulling out okay we need we need 150 balls for this game and then just like it's whatever whatever happens to be in there that's what i think happened was the ball dramatically different between those three years though yeah it was of course it was like we we saw that in uh in what 2019 it was 2019 had a ton of home runs right or 20, which, which year was it? So if, so 2019 was the year where it was a whole lot of home runs. And then 2020 was the launch angle year, right? Where everybody was like, okay, we need to be throwing. Well, 2020 was the COVID, the shortened COVID season. Yeah, that was the COVID season. Right. Uh, and then now, so, and then 2021, we saw things kind of start to decline a little bit. And then now we have a dead ball, right? So if over the last three years, they decided that they were just going to mix up all the balls. They were going to take all these balls and just say, all right, just throw them all in a bag and whoever gets whatever gets whatever. Then that would mean that we would have, we should have more bouncy balls than dead balls, but that, that doesn't look like what it is. It's, it's the weirdest phenomenon because we know that there are multiple balls being used. We know that there's a drag coefficient issue and that some balls are just like absolutely dead and we know that baseball has come out and said that they made the ball have a smaller core that wouldn't affect the size of the ball, but would make it so that it would, or a, a thicker core that would make it fall off farther on fly balls. But we just don't know which ball is being used when, because we know that through confirmation that different pitchers and different hitters have said that balls feel different, that they fly different, that all of this different stuff. And as much as I agree with you, there's confirmation bias for sure. In some of these instances, these guys have been playing baseball for their whole lives ever (laughs) since they were like three. So I would trust them to understand like the difference between like a regular ball and a grainy ball or a dead ball and a bounce ball. Like, I I don't know. I I think that uh, it's, it is something a lot of the time when I'm modeling, if, if I can't find a discrete answer, I choose to just not care just that ignore much. it. I mean, what else are you going to do? Because nobody else can figure it out either. So I'm not losing edge by not being able to model for it. But if somebody can figure it out, uh, obviously there's probably some massive edge in being able to figure it out. Yeah, but this is also all adjusted for weather. Because I mean, you've heard so many people in the past month. It's like, oh, when it gets warm, it'll be fine. The type of thing. It's like, like Cardi has even been on Twitter and has said multiple times. It's like. Everyone's using the data and adjusting for ballpark and weather. So uh, normalizing it out so that it doesn't matter what the weather, however the weather is supposed to affect the ball, we're taking that out, right? However, the ballpark 
you know, factor or whatever. We're not going by those, which is like once you take those out, the run score, the runs are down by a lot based on a, a new, a neutral adjusted everything. So like you, no one could say it's like, well, there's been a lot of 40 degree games. It's like, well, in those games, there are typically more runs still, right? Like it's saying even in those games and in the warmer games, there's supposed to be even more runs in those games. And we're just not seeing it. I saw a chart over a timeline. It's like, like we, we've seen that it's been like the lowest amount of runs scored in, in the month of April for like almost like 90 years or something. I mean, like we're talking about going back to like the 1920s, yeah. right? The, like 1927 Yankees, like, like there's been less and less home run, like same for home runs since, since back then, like for like 90 years. And that now we're going back to what essentially was like the end of the dead ball. So, and when people talk about this, you know, old people and old heads like say, oh, well, you know, the game was better back when you needed base running and when you needed steals, when you need singles and doubles, it's like, okay, look, even if you want to believe that, you think hitters can consistently hit against pitchers now and do that? Because they can't. That's why home runs are so important. That's why the game has been trending towards more home runs. Because if you make contact with a ball, you better make good contact with that ball because you're not getting many chances. Hit a, I mean, the pitchers are throwing 103 miles an hour. Like this Ben Joyce kid that pitches for Tennessee, he can hit 106 on the gun. You think that he's going to come up and like hitters are going to be able to hit him consistently? No. So it, it's why, you know, we see all of the other sports. We see NFL embracing offense. We see NBA embracing offense. We see the other sports embracing offense. And then the base, and then MLB is just like, all right, hold on. But what if we didn't do that and made it the most boring thing to watch possible? But, did, did, do, but do you think that with like, if they purposely made a dead or ball, they did it for that purpose. They that the thought I'm thinking of like a Manfred's like thought process here. Yeah. Like, okay, there's too much three outcome baseball happening, right? Three outcome baseball, strikeout, walk, home run, like that type of like, which is more and the shift, obviously. So like even good hit balls get fielded that in order to make it so that, that it's less power and more hitting they're like, well, we'll de-incentivize home run, swinging for home runs because the ball's going to be deader. So you should be more like, you should want to go for line drives or whatever. But analytically, that's even with the dead ball, it's still, it's it's just like uh, if uh, the NBA, let's say the NBA said, uh, you know what? It's too too much three outcome uh, and uh, basketball, right? It's either three point shots or two outcome, three point shots or layups, right? Right. Those mid-range shots you shouldn't be taking anymore based on just math. Uh, let's let's make it so that we get more mid-range shots by putting the three-point line three feet back. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know what's going to end up happening? People are gonna, still going to take the same amount of three-point shots because even three feet back, it's still better than a mid-range 12-footer from the from the elbow. Right. Like you still rather get the extra point. Like if you're going to do anything, then you just you make three pointers worth less. You make it two and a half points, right? If any, you got to do that to change that. So do you, do you, I mean, I, I think MLB, um, I think the, the, the top brass and MLB are dumb. Oh yeah. So I could, I could see them thinking that, but I just still can't see them actually exit. Like I, I just cannot see how they could have this master plan. That's that is based on faulty logic and then be able to execute it using the baseballs. This like, like, I just, I, I, I think that they're too incompetent. It's like, it's like any conspiracy theory. Like when people say, oh, that there's a whole cabal and this, the, this government's in charge with that, with that company. And there's, there's like 8,000 people that have to, that, and next thing you know, aliens exist, right? And they're hidden and, and the vice president's an alien because he comes from Roswell. It's like, dude, you know how many people have to how many things have to happen in order for that to come true and the, the government is incompetent like they're, they're just they're, these people are not able to pull that off they can barely pull off the basic the basic functions of administering a government and you think they're going to be able to do all that I, that's how i view mlb that that i i i i haven't heard your 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 theory before but your theory stands so much so much more viability because it's based around 
incompetence. Yeah, isn't that more tragic? than any type of like some made some plot? Isn't that, that tragic that like my entire theory is based on the incompetency of the MLB? And you're like, that makes more sense. <laughs> Much more sense. Yeah. Or how about the USFL, uh, James? What What do you think? <laughs> they talk about incompetence. The USFL, uh, in order to in order, in order to apparently make the game shorter, because it, it seems it, it every everyone baseball foot the, all these team all these these leagues are like. We want to make the game short. We want to if, if we want to make it exciting, but the problem is that people aren't going to watch a four-hour game. Like they're always concerned about this runtime, and not concerned about just making the game more entertaining. Mm-hmm. So the USFL said, in the middle of a season, right, which is you'd never you would never see this in any legitimate league that they change the rules in the middle of a the season. They said uh, in the first and third quarter, they're they're not going to stop the clock on incomplete passes. To make the game shorter, but you know what that does? It also makes the game less slower scoring. And now it, now it, now it completely. Now it's like now why? If passing the ball and running the ball are are, are the same, right? Well, teams are just gonna. I mean, they're running the ball too much in the USFL anyway because of all the they they get coach they, they're getting coaches that have twenty six years experience in the NFL, and the reason why they're not in the NFL is because they're bad. And they're and they they have no modern consideration of of the game whatsoever. What is Jeff Fisher going to do dramatically different now? No, you want the younger coaches that are going to do innovative things. And and so let's let's make it. If they wanted to make see, they're doing the opposite. Like, how do we make the game? Uh, if the game is going to suck, let's at least make it shorter. Like they think that way instead of like you know what would be better if they stop the clock on run plays. Yeah. Right. And so now you can't run out the clock. So now how about this? We have the clock run on pass plays, but stop on run plays. <laughs> like, even though that sounds backwards, that would probably, I would want to watch that game more because that really disincentivizes running the ball for two yards. If the clock's going to stop. So maybe they pass the ball more. And if they pass the ball more, more stuff will happen. And if the game's going to be three to three and a half hours anyway, let it at least be a 58 to 47 game mm-hmm. and not a, okay, well, here's, here's this two and a half hour football game. That's uh, that's 14 to seven. And yeah. it's not 17 to seven because no one can kick field goals because we don't have any quality kickers, right? We should be glad that the extra points went in. Like, like what is what, like it, it just, no matter what league you go to, I, it, it's like it's uh the fact that that the nba like probably is the, the the league that's the best run and i don't even think they're run very well but like in comparison it makes it makes adam silver look like and david stern before him it seems, seems like the nba commissioners it's like okay these people these actually people actually seem comp- competent yet in all the other leagues i mean I just, the NHL did stuff stuff in the in the in the late two thousands. They 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 opened it up, so they're a little, they're a little bit better. But it's like whoever's in charge of NFL and Major League Baseball, like just like whatever 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 they decide to do is is always the opposite of what would be better for the game. It just doesn't make any sense. I I don't. I I have heard horror stories. Uh, I I knew some guys who worked for the Rockies in the analytics department. One. Uh, like everybody kind of knows that the Rockies are maybe the worst run team in the league. I mean, like how about the Reds. Well, I mean, the Reds. How about so the Marlins? Are, how about the, the Royals? Really, the Reds are really bad, badly run. The Marlins, at least, like were able to develop stuff, right? Like they they, and they have, just trade, but they trade them away. Yeah, they they have bad talent evaluation, but they have really good talent creation, right? Like they know how to bring their guys up. Um, the Reds at least have some sort of loyalty to a lot of their stuff, right? Like they do things that are dumb, but they do things that are emotionally dumb. The Rockies are run as a, at literally just as how can we bleed people of money the most and get them to come to the stadium, but not invest any of it into the team. Like it's the worst. They don't listen to their analytics people at all. So I do truly believe that at the top end of, of MLB specifically, is just a whole bunch of people who literally hate analytics and just want to make money. Like 
the only people that are listening to are the people that are going to make them more money, like two percentage points more than what they made last year. And that's why, you know, whenever the, the owners were like, oh, well, you know, owning a baseball team is only a little bit better than being in the stock market. It's like, get, do the, like leave forever. Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. All of these leagues, and, and like you mentioned the USFL doing that stupid stuff, the USFL of any league, one, reason 648 why this will be the league that t- the summer football league that takes the world by storm it it's never going to work and the reason why it won't work is because it's just people who hire old people and people who have failed and put them on the tv and then completely ignore the product what they should be doing is like you said get young people and just like ramp up the volatility ramp up the variance make things insane like make it make it absolutely chaotic Make it so that like you have five downs and you have to pass on four of them or you take a 15 yard penalty, like do something ridiculous with the league or, or do, do, so- do, do, do something where like if the deep, if the defense dude, I mean, like literally change the rules somewhat. Like I I've always thought that like on a, on a penalty, like the, if there's a defensive penalty, like they, the, they lose, it's like a power play. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Right, like they, they're right, or or you could you could do stuff. I mean, like they 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 did in basketball, outlawed zone defense. Like yeah. at, like you have like you have like defense hat receivers must be covered single man coverage only, right? And you could have one safety, right? Like what only one player in the secondary could play as as a zone, right? Yeah. So you have, so you have something, you know, and they have to line or, or your safeties the two, you need two players that line up with between the hash marks, right? Something like that. So you can't have like these, these cover two zones with bracket coverage or anything like that. So it's like, well, now that you force everyone to cover man for man, it makes it now talent, now good wide receivers with hands and a quarterback, they, they, they could be a lot more passing than having especially in the, in the, in the, these summer leagues, these are the reason why you're watching bad football. Cause these are bad football players. Cause they'd be in the NFL if they were good football players. So you have to make it as easy as possible for them. You're not going to have these quarterbacks that are going to be reading these zone defenses and coverages and having everyone be in line. These are new teams. They've never played together. So the best thing to do for, for our viewership is to not make like, but, not make it look like the NFL. But the problem is, is that the people that are investing and the people that are in charge of leagues like the USFL or whatever came, the the new XFL or whatever, that's why I give credit to at least someone like Vince McMahon back in 2001 or whatever, where he launched the XFL and said, said, we're going to, you know, we're going to have it so that, you know, you you have to run to the center, to the, to the, to the center circle for the ball, for the kickoff. And you got to do, you know, like, all new things the things and we didn't mind changing the rules a little bit to make it more exciting now it shouldn't have been professional wrestling as football i mean they tried to do that uh but i don't think it could be the end like oh you know what you like about the nfl here's a worse version of it but at least you understand like you're you're watching a football game we don't have to explain any rules to you because you already know the nfl and but now you're just going to see a worse version. You're going to see the people that couldn't even make the practice roster, the practice squad of the NFL teams uh, within the course of two or three months, uh, know enough, played well enough together that 11 on 11 football works. Yeah. I think from an investment standpoint, that 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 sells business-wise. Because it's like, like, yeah, instead of taking a risk on something new, it's like, well, the NFL is worth a ton of money. So if this could be the summer version of NFL, right? Then why not? You don't have to. You don't have to train the viewers or anything. It's like no. It's like you know, you know, football. This is football. It's just not during the NFL season. It's just foot, and that's what they think of people. But then the product comes out, and it's like, how the hell the hell do you watch this thing? I mean, this is just awful, just Sad. awful football. So why don't we just just change it, right? That you like I like like you said, make it five downs, make it. Make, 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 make it so that, 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 I don't know. I mean, I come up with anything that you can. Make it so you only get at most 20 rushing plays a game. 
Like yeah, but that, that's a little hard to keep up with. No, it's not. It's not that hard. You just okay. Well, I would just just count. It's like oh, you you yeah. But then you have scr- How do you count scrambles? I don't that's think you can. Yeah, I, I guess so. I Whatever, mean, dude. No, I mean, if we're gonna like, if we're gonna screw around with it, like, make it so like optimize offense. Offense is exciting. It's what gets people excited. That's what the newer generations want, and that's what some older generations want. Like, you don't even have to call it analytics. Just say that these games are going to score 30 plus points on both sides and it's just going to be exciting. Or, but, I, but, but you could, but you could incentivize that a different way. So let's say, sure. let's say you make, you make a rule that the offensive line unit uh, can only have six members on it. Yeah. And then, but what I mean by that, you make a rule that whatever the line is, Everyone else on, that is going to be on the line has to be within f- away at least five yards away from the last person. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, what basically I'm saying is that you have to like, and and you and you're only allowed one, uh, two people behind the line of scrimmage, the quarterback and a running back, right? So basically, all all I'm all I'm saying is that based on those rules, essentially every play is going to be four wide receiver. Right, it's going to be air raid four wide receiver sets, right? With a quarterback, a running back, six on the line, and four receivers, and the the inside receivers have to be at least five yards from the the, the line. Now, in those in those formations, uh, running the ball is going to be pretty hard, right? <laughs> in, in those formations, especially like like yeah, you could have it so that that a guy can come back and block, but you're not going to be there and t- like. To me, those types of things, instead of having some counter, is just make it so that the formations, because that's what they did in NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we take a look at the way the NFL uh, rules are, with like, like when, whenever we see illegal formations, right? Someone gets called for, you know, wasn't, they weren't lined up on, a, on alignment properly, or there was too many men on the line of scrimmage or two men in motion. Those are all, it, you go back 70 years, those rules didn't exist. They put them in because it made the game worse, right? It made it so it's like, oh, if we allow that formation, uh, teams are going to run the ball way too much, yep. right? They're running, I mean, because they're, they're putting, they're packing the line, they're moving, you know, they're, they're double covering, you know, uh, line defensive linemen. And it's like, like, yeah, if we allowed this formation, people, the teams would average four to five yards per rush, like on average. And then next thing you know, there's no reason to ever pass them. Right. And that's why if you go back to, if you go back to the fifties and watch some of these games, it was 80% rushing plays, right? Because why, why rush when Jim Brown could average 5.2 yards a yeah. rush, yeah. right? Because of the way that everything was set up. So that's why I think like changing those types of things that they did that in basketball. They did, they do that in every sport. So like when people, when people talk about, especially the, like the purest, people in like baseball like people that that don't want to change rules in baseball i'm perfectly fine with banning the shift right i'm perfectly i'm not saying whether or not the shift is good or bad i'm just saying as far as changing the rules every sport that we that we watch nhl i mean the reason i got out of watching hockey is because of the neutral zone trap the devils and the panthers in the late 90s made it like all the Eastern conference was like all dump and chase. And it was just boring. So you know what the, they did? Well, we're going to cause, we're going to uh, create an obstruction penalty. We're going to eliminate the uh, two line passes, right? So you can pass between two lines and it's like, okay, they changed the rules to make the game better. So if you want to make, if major league baseball wants to say, okay, we're putting it forth that, that, you know, four, four fielders, have to be on each side of second base or something, whatever, whatever makes it so that that the third baseman and shortstop can't be on the other side of second base, mm-hmm. right? They can't the, the 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 left the left fielder can't now be in center field and have the center fielder and right fielder and right like whatever line you want to make. It's like nope, you have to have you have to have at least three players that aren't the pitcher and the catcher on one either side of second base. Well, that'll that the the, the fielders could still shift a little because that happens normally, like in, even in the past, right? But it it won't create these these things where you look at the fielding 
And it's like, there's literally no one on one side of the field. Yeah. And with the pitching as good as it is in comparison to the batters, I don't get the argument of like, well, why don't they just hit it the opposite way? It's like, you know how hard it is to hit the ball to begin with with some of this pitching, right? And that they're, they're not going to, it's not worth it to even attempt. That's why they don't do it. Just hit a home uh, run. Analytic, right. They're going for home runs. So like, like I'm not against like change, change the rules. So it incentivizes, I mean, like, ba- Look, before in what 1982, there was no three point line in the NBA, mm-hmm. and people look at it as like, like, we don't, we don't. Why wouldn't there be one? It's like, just because you're you haven't been used to it for the past thirty or forty years, doesn't mean go back in the history. You see rule changes all the time that dramatically shifts the game. And I think that, like, in most sports they should be doing. I mean, look with the fact that we have a universal D. It's 2022. And we finally have a universal DH. You know how much of that that was a debate since 1973? I remember when I was a teenager, people was like, no, no, the DH is, and I used to be one of those people. I used to be one of those people that was like, no, the, 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 back when I was what, 16, 17? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, National League is so much better because there's more strategy involved with the pitcher batting. So you get double switches, you get, you know, people batting around people. And then, then, it's like, yeah, it's interesting for like, like cerebral people, but for like the normal person, like American League Baseball was like, okay, here's a game that's nine to six, right? <laughs> National League was here's a game that's three to two. So unless you're a really select audience, but after a while, that cerebral strategy is like, like you get just get tired of like, oh, it's second and it's a first and second, two outs and the pitcher's up. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, there goes the inning and they're not going to pinch hit for him in the fourth inning. So it's just like, oh, well, or we, oh, let's, Sacrifice bunt time, the most exciting play in baseball. Can't wait for the sacrifice bunt. Right, and then finally it's 2022, and that now it's like, okay, we don't need the pitchers batting anymore. Changing rules, not a bad thing. So I, I had a question really quick from my Discord. Um, Pablo asked, uh, how do you think the diminished scoring in MLB should or should not affect overall DFS draft? I personally don't think that it changes much. I think that... Um, since it is league-wide, it's not like we have to account for that much. We're just normalizing and regressing towards the new baseline averages. Uh, the one thing that I could see is that it makes it so that um, maybe secondary stacks are a little bit less important because you need to be maximizing your upside with uh, the players that you're fitting around your stack. But I don't think that it changes stacking strategy all that much. Uh, from what I've seen, uh from a mathematical concept, the lower the scoring, we see this in all sports, mm-hmm. the lower the scoring is, the less the effect of correlation has. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a concept we talk about in the course, right? Theoryofdfs.com. So that's why, like on NFL Showdown, if it's a low scoring, if it's a 14 to 7 game, the, the correlation between the players is going to matter less because there's less. There's less stuff to be correlated, less events that have happened. In a 50 to 48 game, it's going to be very cool. Like, in a, yeah, the, the quarterback that's, that throws six touchdowns is going to be in the winning lineup with the receiver that catches three touchdowns in the captain's spot. Like, that's because there's a lot more events that have happened. So, in, in baseball, the lower scoring means that correlation, the effect of correlation goes down. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, just that. If there's only five runs in a game, how many batters do you need from that game? If there's six runs, you know, if if it's two solo home run shots, like how much, how many do you need five batters from that team? But that is made up for already with how, with the, the less amount of lineups that are stacking. And I, I, I've said this in the, in the Blenders Game Theory channel in, in Discord. Uh, and this happens every, I, I've gotten this question every year for the past, what, almost five years, four okay. years, 2018. Uh, everyone knows to stack in, in MLB. So why don't I stack less? Because everyone's stacking, right? Because they look at that like, every, oh, everyone should know that, you know, five, five man stacks, four man stacks, right? Four, three, one, four, four, and FanDuel, whatever. Whatever combination. It doesn't have to be five man. It could be four, threes, whatever. Uh, everyone knows that. I go, Everyone doesn't know that. You're, the fact that you're saying that means that you don't actually study the contest that you're playing. Right. Okay. 
So you could d- download any contest that you play in on a DraftKings, and you'll still see that less of the field stacks that you than you think, right? You'll see a lot of three two twos. You'll see two one 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 one. You'll see tons of those lineups. Tons of those lineups. So even if scoring was up, let's say scoring it was it was all these games are nine to eight. You should be stacking at an insane rate. And the field, the, the, the field is stacking less now than it was because they're make, it's made up for because there's less scoring. So people are like, well, I, why am I stacking five guys? If I could stack three, I'll have two here, I'll have one, one. But that is just lowering the amount of five-man and four-man stacks that are in the player pool. And if you simulate the results, it's less than it should. I mean, like, like it's being made up all, all, all the, the correlation coming down a little bit is being made up that the ownership is going down at the same exact rate. And, and from that baseline where it started from the field, wasn't stacking anywhere close to enough as it was. So if like, if, if the field is supposed to stack, if, if, if between four and five man stacks, if the efficient amount of four and five man stacks that it should be in a contest, in a large field contest, let's say is 78%. So that's the efficient amount. Normally, there's only about 62% stacking, right? Mm-hmm. So normally, right? Sometimes now the efficient amount of stacking should maybe be 70%. But now there's only 54% of the field that stacks. So like it people are still not stacking enough. So like that's why when you said, uh, does it change your your strategy much? It doesn't, only because of that fact. If yeah. the field was stacking at the same rate that it was doing last year. It's they're still not stacking enough. So even if you by default just didn't even pay attention to the scoring environments and did it anyway, you'd have positive leverage stacking and even taking that into account with lower scoring involved. So like from a game theory perspective, I see no reason to necessarily change my strategy because it was never efficient to begin with. Sure. Yep, I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, right. I, it, it sounds weird in 2022 to say like, oh, you know, MLB DFS has been around for plus 10 plus years. And if you and how, how does someone not know that stacking is good, especially on FanDuel? FanDuel's it's even correlation is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yet you could you could look just just please just download the CSVs, go into results DB, right? You could look through. I mean, it's easier in downloading the CSV on DK and going into Excel. And then doing a comparison that way, and you'll find you'll just be amazed and go, "Wow, I can't!" Like, so there'll, there'll be there'll be uh, slates where more than half the field does not have at least a four man stack in there in, in a lineup, and it's yeah. like, well, if, why aren't I just playing five four and five man stacks then? Even if the scoring is down a little bit, because if you simulate this out, seventy two percent seventy two percent of the the field should be having stacks, and it's at fifty. Mm-hmm. So until that gets more efficient, I'm not talking about some anti-competitive thing of like, now that everyone knows we got to do the other thing. Like it hasn't gotten to that point because people, there are still people out there that play MLB from this guy's a good play and that's a home run. And this is whatever, a three guys and what fits here. I got to play trout instead of leaving 300 on the table and play a correlated player. Like people still do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just all comes down to, Three weeks into the season, somebody takes down the big tournament with a two one 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 one, and then somebody comes into Discord and it's like, "Well, that you know, this this worked." And like, I I see these these uncorrelated lineups doing pretty well sometimes. Like, take it right back to the bag of marbles. There's a whole bunch of red marbles that, that are uncorrelated, and only like this much of the blue marbles. Then yeah, you're gonna see a red marble pretty often. But that doesn't mean that the red marbles are worth more money. Uh, and people could find your marbles paterdfs.com yeah paterdfs.com uh like i said the the baseball models have been running really really well since i introduced these these kind of new metrics into them and um you know you come over into the discord as well discord's free to join uh talk about those things all day and i've been writing articles which is crazy i know getting my my typing skills back in um but they have what language do you type in I, I actually type in English. Um, See, you're like me. Is I'm just like you. I yeah. I type in English also. 
same person, same person. But uh, that's been fun. So if you want to check those out, those are free as well. I'll have picture notes up later. So yeah, just uh, just grind it to the MLB season. And all, all of this uh, type of uh, the conceptual information that we were talking about on this show, you can find in the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. It'll teach you how to think like a professional DFS player. It's like a seminar. You can watch all these shows. Like, I think everything that's in this course we've talked about, I've talked about on this DFS pregame show. The problem is for you is that we've been doing the show for over two years or so, two years, something like that. Uh, so you're going to have to go and watch all of that. Uh, do, do you have five, 600 hours to spare? Probably not. So it's all nice in a 15-hour seminar style. It's like coming to, coming to our place. Like a, We have a PowerPoint presentation, and we're giving you all the concepts to win at any daily fantasy sport. So it, it applies to NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, MMA, NASCAR, soccer, eSports, anything. And uh, yeah, how to think, the mindset, the concepts. You don't need to do any fancy formulas. You don't have to create your own models even, right? We'll, we'll explain how they're done, but then you could you could use all that information and it's like, okay, how do I beat other players at this game? And it's not about like uh, seeing who's going to hit a home run today. It's all about probability. It's all about statistics. And it's all about game theory. So go to theoryofdfs.com. Pick that up. Pick that up for your mom for Mother's Day, right? Maybe your mom will do what? Maybe, maybe your mom will play better than you. Who knows? Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, so yeah. So uh, follow James uh, Paydirt underscore DFS at Blender HD for me on Twitter. Give those thumbs up. on your way out the door. Give me those thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got uh, live locks with Grant on the Scores and Odds channel at two o'clock later today. We got Grinders live a little bit earlier today, right? We have a earlier. It's like six forty-five slate, so that's coming up a little bit earlier. On same YouTube channel. So if you subscribe here, you'll see that thumbnail. Crunch time is free all season, presented by FanDuel. So you get the, the weather report and everything all up to lock for the MLB slate tonight. That uh, I'll play, I'll be playing a couple of lineups in tonight, reviewing it tomorrow and uh, answering your DFS strategy questions, as I always do on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. <laughs>